This is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, If we can connect you with a local church or discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. Chapter 26, and there are three things I want you to walk away with really knowing is that God has a purpose for your life. He has a plan for your life, and he will get you there no matter what it looks like. Oh, thanks, brother. In that journey for your life, it may look different. We never know exactly where we're going to be, but we do know that God has a plan for us and a purpose for us, and sometimes it looks like a shipwreck with a snake bite and people rejecting you, and that's what it's going to look like for Paul in Acts 27, working into Acts chapter 26. So this morning, if you'll join me, we're going to look at this, but I want to, I want to remind you just where we've been because I really believe that a lot of this is a culmination of where we've been because we see consistently this thread, this pattern throughout Acts that is really consistent with Luke. So in Luke, we see Jesus going from Bethlehem to Jerusalem and living a faithful life despite the difficulties he faces, ultimately to the point where he gives up his life for you and me in the gospel message. We see that he was born in Bethlehem and goes to Jerusalem. We see in chapter 2 of Luke that he was born. In Acts, we see that Paul goes and the church goes from Jerusalem to Rome. In Acts 2, the early church was born. In Luke 2, Jesus was born. We see a consistent thread between the two because I believe that God wants us to know something here. God wants us to see that the early church was born in Acts 2, just like Jesus was born. It is growing and moving, but it doesn't mean that it won't face difficulties, trials, temptations, experiences that are going to be tough for it to push through. But ultimately, we see in Paul's life that he relies on God and trusts that if God has a purpose and a plan, God will get him there. And I think we see that throughout this Acts 27 passage. So I want you to join with me in reading through it. We'll stop at just a couple places But I want us to know at the end of it that God has a purpose, a plan, and that he's going to get us there. So uh, chapter 27, verse 1. When it was decided that we were to sail to Italy, they handed over Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion named Julius of the Imperial Regiment. When we had boarded a ship of Adaramatium, we put to sea, intending to sail to ports along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and allowed him to go to his friends to receive their care. When we had put out to sea from there, we sailed along the, northeast, uh, the northern coast of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. After sailing through the open sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we reached Myra in, in Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. Sailing slowly for many days with difficulty, we arrived off Snidus. Since the wind did not allow us to approach it, we sailed along the south side of Crete off Salmon. With still more difficulty, we sailed along the coast and came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. Now, we see at the end of Acts, slowing down in more details. Now, you may wonder why that's significant. It's because in Luke, we see a very similar thing happen. At the end of Jesus' life, and we, as we get towards Jerusalem, we see a slowing down of Jesus' life and a lot more de- details. As you've seen over the past few weeks, and this week and next week, you'll see a little bit more detail than Luke typically gives. Now, he is the historian. He is the doctor. He is the one who gives the details. He is the one who has really detailed out the Gospel of Luke and has done the same for Acts. But as we slow down, I want you to see that there's a, such a consistency with the end of Luke that we're seeing here that what we, I think what we're really seeing is how to live faithfully 
near the end and in the difficulties of life, how do we live faithfully? Okay, so Acts 27 verse 9, By now much time had passed, and the voyage was already dangerous. Since the Day of Atonement was already over, which again, at the Day of Atonement, there was a lot of fasting, so people didn't eat quite, uh, quite often. So Paul's like, man, many time, much time had passed. It was dangerous. We were hungry. And he continues, Paul gave his advice and told them, Men, I can see that this voyage is headed toward disaster and heavy loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion, again named Julius, right? He was a centurion over about 100 uh, um, uh, sailors, which would happen to have been at that time um, uh, working in the army to some capacity. Uh, so he was over them, and then over him would be a tribune, which led a, uh, uh, about 6,000 people. Uh, so there's a significant amount of people under their leadership. Uh, so he says, men, I can see that this voyage is headed toward disaster and heavy loss, not only the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid attention to the captain and the owner of the ship rather than to what Paul said. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided to set sail from there, hoping somehow to reach Phoenix, a harbor on Crete, facing the southwest and northwest, and to winter there. When a gentle south wind sprang up, they thought they had achieved their purpose. They weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete, but before long, a fierce wind called the Northeaster uh, rushed down from the island. Since the ship was caught and unable to head into wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. After running under the shelter of a little island called Cauda, we were barely able to get control of the skiff. After hoisting it up, they used ropes and tackle and girded the ship, fearing they would run aground on the Sirtis. The Sirtis was uh, two really dangerous areas where the, um, the land came up under the water, but you couldn't see it. And it was two areas where the ocean would push you into. And so many people would run aground on it. So they're trying to avoid this, but they can't exactly steer the boat because the northeaster wind is blowing them into it. So there's a lot of danger. This is a really um, a bad situation for these people. And they know they are in a bad spot. So it says they lowered the drift anchor, and in this way they were driven along. Because we were, eight, uh, we were being severely battered by the storm, they began the, to jettison the cargo the next day. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. For many days, neither sun nor stars appeared, and the severe storm kept raging. Finally, all hope was fading that we would be saved. Okay, so note that down. This is the second time we're going to continue to hear the word save or save. All hope was lost at this point. They didn't have food. They didn't have tackle. They didn't have what they needed to get safely to shore. The winds were pushing them along. They couldn't stop in port. Uh, the, the ship is being destroyed. They can't take care of the skiffs that would even get them safely to shore. So everything is being beaten down and all hope is lost. And look at what happens. Verse 21. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul then stood up among them and said... You men should have followed my advice. Which right there, right, is just super bold. Remember who's in the boat? Centurion, over a hundred soldiers with a bunch of prisoners. And Paul's just like, you should have listened to me. Like I told you so. You're in this situation because you didn't listen to me. And remember, Paul is what? He's not the centurion or, uh, or fighting for the centurion. He's a prisoner. You men should have followed my advice not to sell from Crete and sustain this damage and loss. Now I urge you to take courage because there will be no loss of any of your lives, but only of the ship. For last night an angel of the God I belong to and serve stood by me and said, Don't be afraid, Paul. It is necessary for you to appear before Caesar. And indeed, God has graciously given you all those who are selling with you. 
So take courage, men, because I believe that God, uh, believe God that it will be just the way it was told to me. But we have to run aground on some island. When the 14th night came, we were drifting in the Adriatic Sea, and about midnight the sailors thought they were approaching land. They took soundings and found it to be 120 feet deep, which if you're with me, man, are anybody out there a fisherman? I think this is pretty awesome, right? They, this is like the first use of sonar, maybe? I'm not even sure. Uh, Bill, I know you're with me on this one. Like, this is just fascinating that at their time they were able to do this. Now, they use different mechanics, but it's still cool to hear them talking in this way that they're figuring out how deep it is at this time with mechanisms. So it's 120 feet deep. Now they go a little farther. It says, when they had sailed a little farther and sounded again, they found it to be 90 feet deep, which you know that means they're getting close to the bank, to the shore, uh, or at least to a place where they might run aground on some water. Verse 20, uh, uh, on some land. Verse 29. Then, fearing we might run again uh, ground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight to come. Some sailors tried to escape from the ship. They let down the skiff into the sea, pretending that they were going to put out anchors from the bow. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the uh, soldiers cut the ropes. Uh, holding the skiff and let it drop away. When it was about daylight, Paul urged them all to take food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have been waiting and going without food, having eaten nothing. So I urge you to take some food, for this is for your survival, since none of you will lose a hair from your head. After he said these things and had taken some bread, he gave thanks to God in the presence of all of them. And after he broke it, he began to eat. They all were encouraged and took food for themselves. In all, there were 276 of us on the ship. When they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing the grain overboard into the sea. And remember a few weeks back, I showed you a picture of a ship and kind of pointed you to, if you can think about the size of this ship, if you've ever been to Inner Harbor and seen that, uh, that really cool boat on the far side, it's a huge black uh, um, um, Civil War age boat there. Uh, that is about the size of the boat that they are on right now. So I don't know about you, but when I first read into this, I was like thinking like a smaller boat. This is a huge boat full of 276 people. It was usually used for grain. That's why you see them throwing it overboard and eating some of it, because it was specifically meant for grain. Now, if you focus in on what is happening here, this is like, has anybody ever been on a cruise? You ever been on a cruise? Yeah, uh, cruises are pretty cool. But the first part of it, you're like, man, I'm going to go rest, recoup, relax, just kind of get away. At the very beginning of it, here's what they do. They're like, all right, we've got a safety tour. So now you have to go through safety and how you're going to take care of yourself in, some, in, in case something happens. And you run out to these boats that are meant to protect you in case there's something that happens to the overall boat. So uh, as that's taking place, you're learning all these safety things, and there's some fear maybe, some things going on in people's minds. But listen, but see what Paul does, right? Paul says, hey, cut the ropes, let down the skiffs. We don't need those. Now for them, here's what that looks like. If your, bro- if your boat is sunk, then you don't have the skiffs to get on to get back to land. This was like a huge movement of trust, We've shifted the centurion, Julius' uh, trust, from the owner of the boat and the, uh, and the leader to Paul. Paul's calling the shots, y'all. A prisoner, J- Jewish, Roman, something like that prisoner, who they haven't known for a long time, who doesn't own the boat, is calling the shots. 
There's some element of trust that Paul has gained. He gave thanks. Think about even that in that moment where he gives thanks to the Lord for the bread that they have, for the food that they have. He's giving thanks to the Lord. Man, this shows us a little bit about how to share the gospel in the midst of difficult situations, in the midst of people who are opposed to us, who are literally over us. I mean, Paul is a prisoner with a bunch of people over him, and a centurion's responsibility was twofold. One, either to execute or to guard them until they could get to the point where they would be judged. That centurion is not there to save Paul. He's to ensure that Paul doesn't escape. In fact, he might actually at some point, just like Jesus' centurion was, be there to execute Paul. And here we have the centurion and the others taking orders from Paul. Verse uh, 39. When daylight came... They could not recognize uh, the land but sighted a bay with a beach. They planned to run the ship ashore if they could. After cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and headed for the beach, but they struck a sandbar and ran the ship aground. The bow jammed fast and remained immovable while the stern began to break up by the pounding of the waves. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners so that no one could swim away and escape, but the centurion kept them from carrying out their plan because he wanted to save Paul. And so he ordered that those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land, the rest were to follow some on planks and some on debris from the ship. In this way, everyone safely reached the shore. So once safely ashore, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The local people showed us extraordinary kindness. They lit a fire and took us all in since it was raining and cold. As Paul gathered a bundle of brushwood and put it on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. When the local people saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to one another, This man, no doubt, is a murderer. Even though he has escaped the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But he shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no harm. And I don't know about you, but I don't think this is exactly how I would uh, portray this story. I'm like, when I read that that passage, it's like the snake fastened his hand to him to your hand. I'm like, bro, that snake bit you. Like, how else are you supposed? He fastened it to your hand, and and I can only picture like Paul like dangling this snake from his hand, and everybody watching. Are y'all with me on that? Like, is that just an interesting story? And then all of a sudden the snake falls off and just as normal, people make quick judgments, right? This is what we do as humans. It's oftentimes what happens in the culture to Christians. It's often what happens to Christians to the culture. We make quick judgments. So what do they immediately say about Paul? This man's a murderer. Justice has not allowed him to live. But he shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no harm. They expected that he would begin to swell up or suddenly drop dead. After they waited a long time and saw nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Right? Like that shift from murder to God within just a moment or just some, some amount of time is pretty quick. I don't know about you, but I don't really want to go through that shift that fast in my life where you walk up and somebody's like, he's a murderer. And then later he's like, he's a god. Now, I do find this fascinating. Paul actually would be probably open with the fact that he was a murderer. But we've seen time over time Ephesians, uh, in Ephesus and in Thessalonica, Paul would say he's not a god. When the people tried to worship him as a god, he rejected it. When the people tried to tell him he was a murderer, he said, yeah, but I'm saved by grace. Right? 
I find it interesting that they, they kind of hit on both sides of those stories, but I think we're going to see by the end of this that you're going to see that God transforms people who are identified in, as murderers into somebody who God extends grace to, and we see ultimate transformation, which is what ultimately the, the centurion needs to hear. So I think it's telling that the people thought of Paul one way, then said another, but in reality, Paul's sitting there going, man, if only you knew what God did in my life. After they waited this long time, they called him a God. In verse 7, Now in the area around that place was an estate belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us hospitably for three days. Publius's father was in bed suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went to him and praying on, and laying his hands on him, he healed him. After this, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. So they heaped many honors on us, and when we sailed, they gave us what we needed. Now, can you imagine a scenario where um, you are in your house? Maybe it's late at night because they started up a fire. Uh, it's nighttime sometime. Uh, a centurion, a bunch of, a bunch of soldiers, and a bunch of prisoners show up, and you're like, come on in. Come join us. We get, the food's hot. We're going to see if they're going to provide them food, light up a fire for you. Everything's going to be okay. Yeah, I mean, just think about that hospitality that's in there. But God is graciously revealing his mercy and truth to people who are far from him with the healings and the miracles, with the provision of not dying from the snake, not dying from a shipwreck, and healing others. God is showing people one step at a time that God's got a bigger purpose and plan for Paul's life. So I want you to keep walking with me through this to see this. In verse 11 it says, After three months we set sail in the Alexandrian ship that had wintered at the island with the twin gods as its figurehead. Now the twin gods were the two sons of Caesar. So twin gods, sons of God. Uh, twin gods as a figurehead. Putting it at Syracuse, we stayed three days. From there, after making a circuit along the coast, we reached Regium. After one day, a south wind sprang up, and the second day we came to Petuli. There we found brothers and sisters and were invited to stay a week with them. And so we came to Rome. Now the brothers and sisters from there had heard the news about us and had come to meet us as far as the Forum of Appius, which was a city, and the Three Taverns, which was a waypoint along the journey. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. When we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with the soldier who guarded him. And there it is. From Jerusalem to Rome. God's purpose. God's plan. God's provisions to get him to where he had for him. We say this often. We talk about this consistently because God has a bigger purpose for your life than simply soaking up oxygen and space in his world. God has a purpose for your life. And we can see it really clearly, I believe, in this passage with Paul showing us how to live on purpose. In Acts 27, 11, we see the centurion give primary thought to the owner and the captain of the ship, right? But by the time that we get to verse 42 through 43, we see that the centurion is now following orders from Paul. And ultimately, at the end of this, in Acts 28, verses 23 through 24, after Paul has gotten to Rome, what happens? 
says, After arranging a day with him, many came to him at his lodging. From dawn to dusk he expounded and testified about the kingdom of God. He tried to persuade them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. Some were persuaded by what he said, but others did not believe. You see, God had a bigger purpose than for Paul to die on that ship. God had a bigger purpose. What was that purpose? To preach the gospel in Rome. But not just that. It was that Rome would become the epicenter for the gospel message to go forth and plant the early church and the early church to spread out. And 2,000 years later, millions of Christians like you and me becoming disciples of Jesus Christ because Paul made it to Rome. God had a purpose for Paul's life. God has a purpose for your life. Sometimes we don't understand when we're being shipwrecked, snake-bitten, and rejected by the people and called murderers. Sometimes we don't understand along the journey, but God has a purpose for your life. I know it's hard oftentimes for us to identify what that purpose is, but as we look deeper, some, I mean, a lot of us, I don't know if you're with me on this, but we're seeking out purpose or we're seeking out plan. A lot of people do one or the other. They're not maybe necessarily concerned with the purpose because they just want to know what's tomorrow. The cool thing about God is He tells us both the purpose and the plan. God clearly orchestrates Paul's mind and actions. He tells Paul, you're going, to, you're, you're going to Rome, right? If Paul's headed to Rome, he's just faithfully living that out. Like, here's where I'm going to go. I believe this is why Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, don't worry about tomorrow. Why can we not worry about tomorrow? Because when we know that God has a purpose for our lives and He has a plan for our lives, then tomorrow, whatever it looks like, was God's purpose and plan. We don't, have to, uh, we don't have to stop planning. We don't have to stop having a purpose. Instead, we inherit it from God and trust Him with it. You see, when it's our plans and our purpose, we, we can fear tomorrow. Because everything that happens tomorrow is dependent upon how good I am at fulfilling it. But when we have God's purpose and plan, we know that tomorrow doesn't, we don't have to worry about tomorrow because everything that happens tomorrow is going to be done by the Spirit of God working in us. It's a releasing of worry and releasing of fear that we all need. It's a releasing of that anxiety to say, God, I know what you have for me in my life. I know your purpose for me. I know you're playing for me. And I'm going to trust you that whatever's going to happen, I believe that you're going to get me there. If I can know a purpose and a plan, I can know that He can get me there. You see, God has a purpose for your life, but He also has a plan for your life. He says it specifically in Acts 27, verse 23, when He says, For last night an angel of the God I belong to you and serve stood by me and said, Don't be afraid, Paul. It is necessary for you to appear before Caesar. You see, there's a plan. The plan is to get Paul in front of Caesar. Why? Because he's going to start in Rome. The early church is going to spread from there. It's got many roads. It's got the way to get to the whole empire. The church is going to start there. It's not going to be because Paul continues to go. He can't go to Spain like he wanted to go. He's going to stay in Rome. But God had a plan for him to get to Rome because there's going to be disciples made there. They're going to take the gospel forward into other nations and other empires and ultimately to you. Right? Like, this is what God is doing through Paul's life. He has this specific plan for him to get him in front of Caesar. It, it, it continues, And indeed, God has graciously given you all those who are selling with you. So take courage, men, because I believe, that God, uh, believe God that it will be just the way it was told to me. And then this last phrase. Because this is the one that really gets difficult for us as Christians. Because we can find God's purpose and plan. But it's this last phrase. It says, but we have to run aground on some island. Right? Like, look, here, here's what we know. We can believe this. Tomorrow, we're either going to wake up on earth and serve God faithfully, or we're going to wake up in heaven with God for eternity. 
We know those two truths. We believe those as Christians. We hold firm to those. One of those two things is going to take place. And no matter which one of those two things take place, it all be in God's purpose and plan for our lives. Like we can release that over to Him. But that doesn't mean today you might, run a, might not run aground, right? That doesn't mean today your ship might break up a little bit. That doesn't mean today you're not going to face a difficulty or trial, which Mr. Bill put on full display in the baptismal when he said, look, I've been through difficult times in my life, but I've trusted in God that he was the one that was going to sustain me through it all, and he's brought him to salvation in Jesus alone. Like, this is what that process looks like. Man, your ship might run aground today. Today your ship might break up. Today you might make it to shore only because you're clinging on to a piece of wood. You're like, man, this is all I got, but I made it. Right? Like, God has a plan for you to get somewhere. He's going to get you there, but that doesn't mean you might run aground. So God will get you there, which is ultimately what I, why I think that's so fascinating, what he says in that last, that, last, uh, that last part of this, where he says, some on planks and some on debris from the ship, but everyone reached the shore. Man, you may be swimming to shore, you may be riding on debris. But no matter what, God's going to get you where he needs you to be. It, I don't know how you're going to get there, but I know that God will get you there. Amen? I don't know how God will get you there, but I know that God will get you there. And, and it takes me back to this, this question in my mind that I don't know if you've been working through it with me, but it's been coming up in my heart, and I've been thinking about this, is, is, the, is, is God highlighting Paul in this story? Is God highlighting the centurion? And I think I would probably say both at this point. I think Luke is really telling us a story of both. But I don't want you to miss the centurion. This man named Julius, far from God, not even knowing God. Like, we really don't know his story very much in the background. All we do know is centurions weren't necessarily the best of people, generally speaking, in the Roman Empire. They were literally over a lot of difficult situations. In fact, I would point you back to many times in Scripture that we do see stories of centurions where they are... The, the last time we hear it, uh, uh, or we see it throughout Acts, but we see it in the end of, uh, of Luke, right? Where there's a centurion who's overseeing the execution of Jesus. And I want you to pause there for a moment. Because that centurion is listening to Caesar. Caesar is telling him what to do. Because that was a Roman execution. The Jews wanted it, but they couldn't execute him. They had to go to the Romans to get it overseen. So the Romans say, okay, you can take Barabbas, you can take Jesus. They say, man, let's, let's, let's kill Jesus. So the Son of God, which is Caesar to them, tells them, this is what you're going to do. You're going to kill Jesus, who we know is the true Son of God, right? The Son of God in, on earth is to telling the centurion what to do. Now you skip forward to Paul's story. That centurion is just to oversee Paul, to make sure he doesn't escape, to make sure that he's, if he's going to be execu uh, executed, he's going to oversee that execution. That centurion is listening from, for, from orders from a tribune, which is listening for orders from Caesar, the Son of God, in their, in their earthly worlds. But do you see how it shifts? Through the story... Julius the centurion goes from listening to the sailor, the, cap the captain, and the son of God, Caesar, and now he's listening to Paul. Now he's listening to the message that Paul shares, which is what? From Jesus Christ himself, the true son of God. You see, this transformation in his life goes from the centurion listening to Caesar to the centurion listening to the Lord of the universe. 
I think sometimes that needs to take place in our own lives, but as we look at Julius' life, go back with me and look at the end of Luke. Because I think Luke's got something going here for us that we need to understand. Look at the end of Luke. It says in Luke 23, 47, when the centurion saw what happened, he began to glorify God, saying this man really was righteous. Or what it says in other ones is the son of man. Like this centurion literally oversees the death of Jesus, and at the last moment he says, this was the son of God. This was the righteous one. This was the son of man. We're seeing people transformed in life. But see what it took. It took a shipwreck, a snake bite, and being rejected and called a murderer to get to the point where the centurion was transformed. It took Jesus dying on the cross where that centurion was being transformed. And honestly, y'all, it took Jesus going from Bethlehem to Jerusalem for you to be transformed by the gospel message of Jesus Christ, which is that he died on the cross so that you might have life. Sometimes it takes being shipwrecked. As we look at the, this story, I think God, I hope that God is revealing some truths for you in this moment. But I have a gospel response for you. And I want you to look at, um, I want you to look into Jesus' life for just a moment in comparison to Paul's life and see that no matter whether it's from Nazareth uh, or Bethlehem to Jerusalem or Jerusalem to Rome, God is working it out. And so I would ask you, what is your purpose and plan? If you're in a season where you're like, man, I don't know what my purpose is, then you ought to be in a season of prayer. You ought to be in a season of reflection and seeking the Lord. Sometimes that looks like, even for my own life and with my own degree, like letting you behind the veil, sometimes it looks like going to them and saying, hey, look, I just need to step away from a lot of things right now pause, say no, because I just need to spend time with the Lord. What does that look like for your own life? Sometimes I tell my wife, man, I just need to go for a walk. I just need to go for a run. I just need to clear my mind. I just need to get back with the Lord. Jesus does this himself when he escapes from all the ministry he could be doing, from all the healings he could be doing, from all the food he could be providing. He goes to be with his Father. Y'all, it's not necessarily wrong to not know your purpose. What's wrong is to not seek out what your purpose is from the Lord. Let Him transform your life. Sometimes we need to find purpose. Sometimes we need to find plans. Sometimes we need to figure out, God, what are you doing? What what am I doing? What's my next step? What do you have for me? But if we're not in prayer, if we're not in meditation, if we're not in isolation, we're not getting away from things, then we can't say, man, I'm, I'm, I'm just... I'm just mad at God. He won't tell me what to do. I'm, not, I'm mad at God. He doesn't, hasn't given me a purpose. Well, have you sought out the Father? And, and when, when you find purpose and plan, dedicating your life to that. So here's what that looks like. If you don't know what God's purpose and plan for you is, pray. If you're in the midst of God's purpose and plan, pray. And if you have found God's purpose and plan and you're at the end of it, pray. Because in 1 Thessalonians, Paul uh, uh, captures it for us. He says in, in chapter 5, verse 16 through 19, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will in Christ Jesus. Pray continually, give thanks continually, constantly just saying, God, thank you for what you are doing in my life. No matter where you are in the journey, it all winds up being like this. God, what do you want from me next? Thank you for what you've done. God, what do you want from me? God, thank you for what you've done. God, what do you want from me? Because I'm headed to Rome, and I need you to get me there. It's just this constant walking with God. And so as the band comes, I've got two gospel responses for you.
And if there's anybody in this room, man, if there's somebody in this room who says, like, I have not experienced the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ in my own life, I want you to see the, the transformation that happens in Paul's life. Paul was a murderer who became a missionary to lead a centurion who was a murderer to transformation. Jesus came, was executed by a murderer who was following commands from Caesar, and Jesus died to transform that murderer into someone who would take commands from the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter where you are in your life. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you face. It doesn't matter how many shipwrecks, snake-bitten times you've had in your life. It doesn't matter how many failures you've had. It doesn't matter if you're like Paul, who's overseen mur- murder. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. What matters is what Christ did in the past for your future. Tomorrow you will wake up. The question is, what will you wake up to? A purpose where God, with God giving you purpose for your life on this earth or eternity in heaven with God forever. Either way, God has something for you you. And he secured it in his son, Jesus Christ. So if you're in this room today and you've never experienced a transformation through the grace of God, I would encourage you, come talk to me. I'd love to lead you through that. More importantly, look to your right and left, find somebody around you, and just ask them, would you help me understand more about Jesus Christ? Would you lead me to know Jesus Christ? And so here's your two gospel responses. First, where are you going? We ask this sometimes, but over the next two weeks, I'm going to ask you the same question. Where are you going? And we're going to focus in on that. And look, if you don't know where you're going, go somewhere. If you don't have something to do, do something. You see, Jesus didn't say in the Great Commission, therefore go to blank. He just said, therefore go and make. Go and make disciples. I don't know where, but do it. Right? If you're sitting, do something. If you're going... I want to pray for you and encourage you. Tell me what you're doing. Tell me where you're going. Tell me where you're serving. But if you're not going somewhere, go somewhere. And if you don't know where to go, go with us. We have four opportunities because we want to mobilize you. We want you to have the opportunity to do what we're preaching. We're not just a church that preaches a message. We're a church that lives out that message. You are called to now go in the midst of darkness and light it up by doing something, by doing what God's called us to do, which is go and make. So I hope you'll join with us. If not, I hope you're doing something already. If you can, we're going April 30th to Baltimore. We're going to reach out into West and East Baltimore to make disciples, to bring transformation, to be a light in the midst of darkness. Will it be easy? Probably not. Is it the safest decision you've ever made? Probably not. But Paul was shipwrecked, stake bitten, and rejected. It's not whether we should go, it's where we should go. Where are you going to go? Go somewhere if you're not going somewhere. Do something if you're not doing anything. Go with us to Baltimore. Go with us to Haiti. Do something because Christ is calling you. I can't tell you where Christ is calling you, but I can tell you that Christ is calling you. I've always thought about that, right? Like, I don't know where he's calling you to go specifically, but a lot of times when people tell me that, they're like, I I don't know if God's calling me to Haiti. Cool, where are you going right now? I don't know if God's called me to Baltimore. Cool. How are you sharing the gospel today? Because there's some centurion out there that needs to see your life on display. There's some murderer out there who needs to see your life on display. There's somebody who hasn't experienced the grace of God, and you have, and their life is going to be transformed by it. Will you go? Let me pray for you. Father, you challenge us. Your word is challenging.
Your word is convicting and compelling. Father, use me for your glory. Send me where you have me to go. I pray also at the same vein, God, that you would work in this church who you've allowed me to shepherd. God, would we go where you've called us to go and do what you've called us to do? Would you send us? I pray for everyone who's already serving throughout the city and the state and the nation and the nations. God, I pray that you would raise them up to send them out to do what you've called them to do. Take them to their Rome. And Father, I pray that your church would continue to spread, that your gospel would continue to spread through these people. Would you raise us up, send us out into the midst of darkness to light it up. God, use us as your hands and feet wherever you see fit, even if it's a shipwrecked, snake-bitten, rejected world, we will go. Even if we're judged quickly, we will go. You just send us, God, and we will love. So Father, use us, convict us, transform our hearts. We love you and praise you in your son's name. Amen.
church. We'll go tell the world of the treasure that you found. Run into the midst of darkness to light it up. I pray you have a great week and we hope you can connect to serving us with us in some way. Talk to me, talk to Miss Kim, talk to Pastor Glenn, talk to Pastor Bill. One of us will connect you with a way to serve locally or globally. We hope to see you later. Have a great week. have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.